you are listening to the Sharp End Podcast. I'm Ashley, the creator and hostess of the show. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mamu. For over 150 years, Mamu has been making gear that recreational and professional users trust to perform in the mountains. Mamu works hard to keep you safe so you can confidently go. This month, Mamu will be giving away their newly redesigned 280 Speedlock Avalanche Probe. This probe is light, durable, and uses a new audible locking system. Confidently go with Mammut Avalanche safety equipment this backcountry season. Stay tuned to the very end of this episode to learn how you can win the Mammut 280 Speedlock Avalanche Probe. Thank you to our friends at Desert Mountain Medicine and Sunto for sponsoring this show. Hey friends, you know, I've been producing these episodes for 59 months. That's almost five years, five years. This is the longest relationship I've ever been in. Sometimes it's a struggle to put these shows out. I'm not going to lie. I don't have a stable home. I move around almost every three months and it's really hard to find the time to make this happen, but I do it. And guess what? After nearly five consecutive years producing this show, I'm mixing it up in 2021. I've got a new look, a new sound, and a new website. So stay tuned for the January 1st episode when it all rolls out. Until then, let's finish off 2020 with Annie Weinman. She's a regular badass who had a huge fall down the North Chimney in Rocky Mountain National Park. The North Chimney splits the lower east face of Long's Peak and is the most commonly used route to access Broadway and the Diamond. Mountain Project rates this climb 5-4, and it's about 500 feet and three pitches. Welcome to the show, Annie. So I'm Annie Weinman. I'm 28. I live in Boulder, Colorado. I work as a data engineer full-time, but in my free time, I live in Boulder because I love climbing, scrambling the flat irons, um, skiing. I do ski patrol, so I'm pretty much always outside doing something when I'm not working. Um, mostly, mostly like trad climbing is mostly what I do. Gear climbing, nice. Yeah, me too. Nice. Uh, what got you into climbing, Annie? I was just kind of like climbing stuff when I was a kid. I was just trying to climb the trees and stuff. Um, when I was in middle school, uh, my parents had us join a gym, a climbing gym for like six months, and I really enjoyed it. Um, we weren't able to stick with it, but it was something that I always sort of kind of gravitated back to, um, throughout high school and a little bit in college, but not regularly. And then when I graduated college, I started climbing a lot more at a gym and then going outside as well. And over the last five years, I've just been climbing more and more because it's really fun. Yeah. Cool. What's your favorite climb? My favorite climb? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, no, I don't know. Um, okay, fine. Top three. Top three. I, I really like pretty much everything in Eldo. Um, one of my favorites is T2 minus the first pitch. It's just like a really fun 5.9 that goes up Red Garden. Man, favorite climb. I just, I just love climbing everything. I love climbing all this stuff up in Rocky. Um, 
Rocky Mountain National Park? Yeah, I climbed the Sabre. That was probably one of my favorite climbs this summer. Um, I think we did the southwest corner. Um, I also love climbing out in California in the Sierras. Did a bunch of fun routes out there on Incredible Hulk and Miriam Peak. Pretty much any long granite route is something I really enjoy. Very cool. Have you ever been in um, the Winds? I have not been to the Winds. One of these days. Oh my gosh. Once you go, you'll fall in love. Yes, I, I will love it. I know. Um, okay, so then what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the fall I took uh, just over two months ago. Um, I fell down the north chimney on the diamond of Long's Peak. We were going up to climb the diamond and about 200 feet up the north chimney, I fell. And that's what we're talking about. And what day was this? You said two months ago, but what day? Uh, Saturday, September 5th, 2020. Yes. And you took a, a 200 foot fall in Rocky Mountain National Park on the North Chimney on Diamond. Correct. Okay. And you survived. Yeah, incredibly. That's a, that's a massive, massive fall. Okay. So start from the beginning. What, um, tell me what happened from the very beginning. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it was the end of Alpine season. Usually by September, I'm kind of looking towards maybe going to the creek, going to the South Platte, uh, not being at 14,000 feet because it's usually really cold. Um, but it was still really warm. And my friend was like, hey, like, I want to go do this climb. Do you want to come? And I can't say no. I'm like, yeah, of course I want to come and do that. So um we uh, decided fairly last minute, maybe the day before that we were going to do this, but we climbed together a lot. So that's not that unusual. Um, yeah. So we left the trailhead, walked up the approach. Um, How long is the approach to this climb? Approach is about four miles with 3000 feet of gain. Okay. Yeah. So it felt pretty easy. Um, I've been, I had a crazy summer where I was just climbing and running all the time. And so by the time I got to the base of the climb, I was feeling really good. I was like, it's sunny. It's going to be a great day. Um, I was really excited. I thought it was going to be really cold. It wasn't cold. It was really warm, um, which is never a bad thing because you can have some really cold days on the diamond. Um, yeah. So we got to the base of the North Chimney. and About what time did you get to the base? About 9.30. We had a pretty late start. Uh, we tend to move pretty fast when we climb, so we we like to take advantage of sleeping a little bit extra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was about 9.30 in the morning. We figured we had till about noon before the diamond went into the shade for the day and it would get a little colder. So once we saw how warm it was, we were definitely excited to start climbing. We also had two other people with us who were my climbing partner's friends, and I'd climbed with them a bit before, but um, wasn't super close with them. And so they were at the base of the climb with us as well. We sort of took off um, and started up the North Chimney without them. Um, Since it was later, there was no one in front of us on the North Chimney, which is another reason we like to start later, because it's pretty sketchy to have people above you in that situation. Just because of rockfall or something? Because of rockfall. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. chance of someone knocking something down on you. Um, And the whole North Chimney thing is that rockfall is a huge risk. And so it really uh, sort of 
has implications for how you climbed it. Um, I backstory on me, I do a lot of scrambling in the flat irons. Um, I set a speed record on the first flat iron. So five four terrain, I kind of felt like it's something I was super comfortable on. It I've done the North Chimney a few times before. It didn't really seem like a big deal. And we have I've climbed it with my partner before and we just soloed up it, you know, no issues. It felt super casual. And so that's the approach we took today as well. We started soloing up the North Chimney. Because like, you've done it before. Yeah, yeah, casual. Not really, but felt that way. Um, so we start going up. I sort of noticed that we weren't going the way that I had went in the past, but I wasn't too worried about it. Um, you know, this is a partner that I climb with a lot. He's very experienced. He's someone who's climbing judgment. I definitely trust. And so I didn't really think much of it. I was like, well, you know, I'll just follow him. Like, it's it's fine. Like, I'm sure like, you know, five, four is five, four, even though I know that's not true, 10 feet away, it can be totally different. Um, but at the time that wasn't how I was thinking, you know, I just figured he was making easy route finding choices and it would be really straightforward. So about, yeah. So 200 feet up, I got to kind of a tricky section and my partner, and you were, and you were following him. He was, he was ahead of you. Yes. He was moving faster than me. So he was about 30 feet ahead of me and I was just, I wasn't really trying to keep up, but I was definitely trying to just keep moving. Um, and yeah, so I didn't really see like where exactly he'd went or how he'd went up it. I just sort of like, you know, had eyes on him enough to know that like, this is about where he went up and this is how it was. So I was, so I got to this spot and all of a sudden I realized I was a little bit stuck like I I didn't really know how to move from it um I had a really good hand and a really good foot but I didn't have another good hand and another good foot and the move to get onto like the next slab felt really off balance so I stopped to pause for a minute I was like wait like what's going on here um and then I sort of started looking around and like looking back and I was like well wait like how how did I even get here? And that's when it started to get a little bit more weird because I wasn't really sure. Um, it wasn't really clear how I got to that spot. Cause I was like, Oh, well, I'll just like back off and go around it. But I couldn't because I didn't know how I got there. I had just been sort of in the flow state and cruising along until all of a sudden I wasn't. Um, so at this point I was like, all right, this is an okay stance, but not really a good stance so I kind of need to decide what I'm gonna do like the longer I stand here like the more in my head I'm gonna get and like just the worst things are gonna be so I uh I kind of like felt around with my hands I was like okay I've got this felt around with my feet the foot wasn't good it was really slippery I should also mention I was not wearing climbing shoes I was wearing approach shoes with sticky rubber um, so I didn't have great edging, like it was okay, but not the same as I would have in my TC Pro. Is, and is that normal for you though, to be climbing Alpine routes in, in approach shoes? It's normal for me to climb 5.4 in approach shoes. Okay. And this is a 5.4 route. Yeah. It's just long, sustained Alpine climbing. Yes. To get up to the base of the diamond. And then at which point I would put my climbing shoes on. Um, yeah. So... So here I am, like, feeling around, not finding anything good. 
uh, debating, should I say something to my partner, kind of thinking, no, this is, this is really casual, like, it feels kind of sketchy, but you're probably just in your head about it, and, like, not really sure if he's going to be able to do much to help you anyways, so it just kind of is what it is, like, just trying to stay really calm and really wasn't even feeling afraid, just sort of trying to logically talk myself through the situation. Um, eventually, I decided to either go up or down. I'm not sure which. It didn't go well. Um, my foot slipped when I committed to moving and I started falling. Um, we were right next to the snow that fills in the chimney. The snow was almost gone because it was so late in the season, but there was a bit of snow on climbers, right? Um, and a rock just above some of the snow. So as I fell, I reached out and tried to grab the rock and it just like slipped through my fingers. Like I, I knew there was no chance I could grab it. And uh, yeah, at that point I, I went for a long ride. Mm-hmm. By long ride, you mean 200 feet? Yeah, I think I was really lucky to get over onto that snow rather than tumbling down the slab. Weren't you wearing a backpack? I was, yeah. So there was a lot of little funny things in the accident that were really kind of lucky and that pretty much saved my life. Um, One of them was wearing the backpack. I hate climbing in a backpack. I would rather just go fast and light that's my thing but this day I just felt like we weren't doing any chimney climbing it was probably going to be cold and we should have the pack so I had a pack it was filled with puffy jackets basically and water so really soft cushion for my back I also had my helmet on as well as sunglasses which probably prevented my left eye from being punctured out um So, yes, all of those things, I think, ended up being really lucky that I was wearing all of those. So did you fall, did you just go head over feet, head over feet when you were falling down the 200 feet? Or what was your fall like? I stayed head up, but I um, rotated between my front and my back as I fell. I don't remember the fall, but what I've heard from my climbing partners is that I just started going down. I was on my front side. I was on my back side. Another really lucky, crazy thing was about 30 feet above the mouth of the north chimney. There was like a Ciroc where the uh, the ice had kind of, or the snow had kind of melted. And I crashed right through that and it broke my fall and probably took out a lot of my speed before I hit the ground. Um, so we think that that was also really lucky. Did you, did you fall past the two climbers below you? Yes, they were at the base, they were roping up for the climb while this all was happening. And so they were first on scene. To your, to your body? Yes. Okay, so then you're laying there in the snow? Are you in the snow at this point? I cruised past the snow, through the snow, into the boulder field beneath the snow. So you landed in a boulder field? Yes. Okay. And so then your two friends who were roping up at the base of the climb just decided to, they're like, they watch you fall and they don't rope up, of course, and they come running to you. Yes. Yes. I think that's what happened. And then what happens? 
I don't remember the next few minutes. My climbing partner was above me and he said that he watched me fall and he's like, shoot, like I'm watching someone die. Um, he thought that? He thought that he was watching you die? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I thought I was dying when I fell. That was my last thought as I was either dead or paralyzed. Um, but then I was, I was still for a few minutes or a few seconds when I hit the ground. And then I flipped myself over and just started screaming. And I don't remember any of this. I don't remember um, the other two friends getting to me. The first thing I remember, I don't know how long it was after I stopped falling, but another friend being there, um, I hadn't seen him since October, so almost a year ago. And he's not someone that I associate with alpine climbing, so it was really weird for him to be near the base of an alpine round. And at this point, like, I think I just remember it because it was so weird that he was there. And I was like, wow, like, I must be really, really messed up. Like, I'm seeing people that, like, shouldn't be here. And, like, I don't even know what's happening. He was really there, but it was just, it was weird. It's like you were sort of in, it's like you're sort of in a dream state. It kind of was. The whole thing sort of felt like a dream. Um, what was really fortunate is one of the friends that we were climbing with was a EMT. And so that's pretty fortunate. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so he was able to do like a primary and secondary assessment on me. And then as soon as I was conscious, I've also um, done medical training. I have a woofer and I am a speed patroller. And so the first thing I remember is my interaction with him is just screaming at him. You have to check my back and wiggle my fingers and my toes. I need to make sure I can feel everything. Cause I was so worried that I was paralyzed and just something really bad had happened. Um, but luckily he was able to do all that stuff. And as soon as I didn't really have any back pain and I could feel all my fingers and toes and move them, I, I felt pretty relieved at that. Right. And, and then, so what, what did he find on his primary and secondary assessment? He didn't find much, um, basically just some bleeding and that I was having trouble breathing. Um, mm. I ended up having a broken rib, but with everything going on, I think it was really hard to tell that. Right. Okay. So, so did anybody call for help? Yes. Um, fortunately we had cell service. So before my partner down climbed to me, he, oh, right. Called, Cause he's still up there. He's still up there. So he called in the rescue and then down climbed the same way that I fell climbing down to me. Okay. 200 feet yeah. down climbing. Yes. Okay. Five, four. Uh, yeah. Still scary. It's like it's exposed. Um, yeah. he's probably has, he doesn't know if you're dead or alive. Yeah, he's probably has to calm down in his own head and, and just get down. Yeah. Get down the cliff, you know. Um, okay, so he so he calls for help um, before he down climbs. Yes. Well, who did he call? I think just nine one one, which routes okay. you to search and rescue. Yep. Gotcha. Okay, so then he down climbs to you, and then what happens? Um, after that. Not much happens for a little bit. I'm kind of don't remember it that well. Apparently, I'm just complaining a lot about not being able to breathe. I want to be flipped onto my stomach. 
not sure. My friends are like, no, we're going to not do that for you because we want you to live. Um, the rescue took about 90 minutes to arrive. 45 minutes in um, some more people I knew arrived. I just knew Ivern and the Diamond this day. It was pretty incredible. Um, so then I had two more people with me until the rescue arrived. But the rescue was really fast, 90 minutes to get to me. That is super fast, very efficient. Yeah. Um, it was literally the most textbook rescue I could have imagined. It was literally like all the scenario drills I practiced. It was exactly like that. I ended up getting two helicopters out. Um, one I was dangling beneath the helicopter, and then the other one flew me to the hospital. But the whole thing felt really streamlined. Uh, the people situation got even crazier. I actually knew one of my rescuers because she taught my woofer class. So I really just didn't know if I was okay in the head when all these people kept showing up. But uh, I was. it really made my rescue a lot better. I was just really excited to see them. It's like, it's like a reunion. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you get flown to the hospital and then what is, what is the trauma doc say? So what, what are all of your injuries at this point? Yep. So it took almost probably six hours before they knew if I would need surgery or not. I didn't end up needing any surgery. Um, so I had seven stitches in my left eyebrow that went bone deep. Um, so I had a cut there. I had a closed pneumothorax that ended up healing itself by the time I was in the hospital. So that's probably why you were having hard, a hard time breathing. Yes, definitely. I had a lot of general just like sort of like bruises and trauma to the chest area as well as a broken rib. Um, so just some kind of general trauma to that area as well. Um, and then I had a 20% compression fracture on my T6 vertebrae in my back, and then a sprained right ankle and a sprained left foot. You you made out, sister. Yeah, seriously. 200 feet. I mean, I, I don't want to say that's all that happened to you, but 200 feet, and that's, I mean, it, it could have been so much worse, right? Like, super minor injuries. I literally pretty much walked away from that. And And, okay, so we're talking that this happened... Let's see, this happened in September of this year. So that's, and it's November right now. Yeah. So two months ago, what, what are, what's your world like now, you know, post rescue, post uh, out of the hospital? What, what's, what's your movement like? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm doing really good. I just got out of my back race last week. Um, I've been doing some easy scrambling on the second flat iron. I got to try some climbing on Saturday. It was really hard. I've lost a lot of strength. Um, but being able to like be back climbing two months post 200-foot fall is pretty incredible. And that's in the, you're doing that in the rock gym? No, we, uh, we climbed Cynical Pinnacle on Saturday. Oh, my gosh. What's Cynical Pinnacle rated? It, we did the center route, so it's a 5'9" three pitch crack. My friend let it. Top rope was pretty challenging for me. Oh, no big deal. So just come out of the trauma, you know, ICU for two days and then after a 200 foot fall and then climb this five, nine, two months later. Yeah. Yeah. That's Annie. That's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm real grateful for that. Um, so What's the, what are the learnings through all of this? What do you want to share with the, with the listeners? Yeah, I, I think I have 
quite a bit that I learned from this. I think one of them is, you know, I ego doesn't have a place in the mountains. I was feeling pretty confident. You know, I'd been crushing it all summer. I was like, five, four, scramble. Like, let's just get off this. Like, let's get to the real stuff. And when you have that kind of attitude, that's when you really open yourself up for accidents. I think, I mean, there's always a possibility that this accident could have happened, but the probability would have been much lower if I had had a mindset of, you know, being really methodical, moving slow, looking for my own path, having more awareness, having more respect for the route. Um, being hu- being more humble. Yeah, being more humble. Um, talking to people afterward, I kind of realized that there's probably a difference between scrambling sandstone slab and polished granite in approach shoes. And maybe it would have been in my best interest to put my climbing shoes on for that. And I think I definitely would do that if I do the route again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think definitely I will rope up for the North to me next time. There's pros and cons to that, but I, I don't see myself going to solo it again. Mm-hmm. Well, what about soloing other five fours? I mean, where's the risk? Where's your risk tolerance now? Yeah. Um, and that's sort of my next learning and something that I'm still thinking about a lot. It's this fallacy, like positive feedback loops. Like you see it in backcountry skiing. And I think you see it in climbing, especially on these like easy scrambles a lot where you don't really get negative feedback. Like if you have a near miss, you might not even realize. And so you're like, Oh, like that went pretty well. I guess I'll go do it again. And you don't even realize how close you were to taking a tumble like I did. Um, And it sort of creates this distorted perception of risk. Like, you know, I've driven down the highway a thousand times. It's safe to do it again today. I've scrambled by four thousand times. It's safe for me to do this. Um, And that's not necessarily true. Um, In terms of where my risk tolerance is, I will like do like scrambles in the flat irons. I think that's something that I'm still comfortable doing at this point in time. Um, but on-site scrambling new routes is something I used to do and something that I think is a lot more risky than scrambling new routes. And that's something that I think I will take a step back from because once again, I think my ego got the best of me and my abilities and um, what I'm able to do. So yeah, I think I think there's a lot to think about with my risk tolerance, and I think that's something that's going to evolve as I continue to recover. Well, what about roping up? So, you know, you didn't rope up, but that was an intentional decision of yours and your climbing partners because you had done the route before, you felt comfortable doing it. Uh, you know, with when you're not roped up, you, you can generally move faster, right? And yes. when you're in a rockfall zone, which it sounds like the North Chimney is, uh, you have you're less you're you have less time exposed to potential rockfall if you're not if you're soloing, right? So exactly. What do you think about that? I think that you have constant trade-offs when you alpine climb, and you have to balance them. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's ways to climb the North Chimney with a rope that aren't much slower and you can be really careful about rockfall. 
um, or creating rock fall. So if we were to simul it on a short rope, I don't think that that would take so much longer than soloing. And I think that would overall be a safer choice. Any other learnings? Yeah, I think the the biggest one actually is the one I have left. And that is, it's it's been a hard one to talk about and one I didn't talk about in my accident report at all because it's it's a hard one to talk about and it's just how important and good partnership is when you go out to do these things. Um, so the accident was 100% my fault and in no way did my partner cause the accident or influence the accident. But what's been haunting me like pretty much every day since the accident, it wasn't the five minutes leading up to the accident, but like the five months leading up to the accident. Um, and what I mean by that is I go climb with this guy all the time. Like we've been crushing Alpine objectives all summer, but it never felt like we had a partner. He's a, he's a really good climber. He's got great multi-pitch skills. He moves fast. He has all these really good qualities. Definitely the stronger of us two. And there was a lot of times, there was a lot of comments where we'd be like, well, you hold the rope. I'm going to go put up the hard route. And the comments did get to me and started to make me feel kind of bad. And like, I needed to like prove myself and earn his trust. And throughout the summer, I just kept going back and forth on, oh, I don't think I should climb with this guy anymore. And then the next week I'd be like, wow, we had such a good day out climbing. Like, I just love climbing. It's so fun. And so my biggest lesson learned is just this relationship that I have with my partners being able to have communication when stuff like that's happening and being able to feel like I have the trust in a relationship to bring this stuff up and um, having a partner that's receptive to those comments and can answer it with things that say, hey, I'm sorry I made you feel this way. I want to be a better partner. How can I do that? I think that I had a lot of hesitation. Um, to ask for help when I was stuck before I fell because what I heard going through my head was oh for the next few weeks I'm just going to hear about how I had to get rescued off this 5-4 climb which is totally just ego again but also goes back to there wasn't trust in our partnership and mm-hmm. well you felt the need to keep it. up maybe or and he and he, he was yeah. just a little bit out of I mean you were following him on a route that you guys had done before um, but then he came a little out of sight and you didn't know which way he had gone exactly. But yeah, that this need to sort of prove ourselves or uh, have affirmation or feel like we're good enough is, is constant with, with our egos. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely on me for just wanting to climb and, you know, deal with my problems later. I'm really good at that. And yeah, I've learned that that's not really okay. And if I want to keep doing this stuff, I've got to communicate, communicate better and be more honest with myself and my partners. Annie, thank you so much for being on the show and wrapping up 2020 with me. Thank you to Mammut for being the headlining sponsor. And thank you to Desert Mountain Medicine Innovative Wilderness Medicine Training Since 1998 Are you an avid winter backcountry enthusiast? DMM has launched a new course called Wilderness First Aid for Winter Backcountry Users. 
This 16-hour course focuses on prevention, assessment, and treatment of injuries and illnesses common to winter backcountry recreation and includes the wilderness medicine guidelines for the treatment of avalanche victims. This course is also offered as part of the Women's Wild Med program. Use promo code SHARP4WINTER, that's the number four, SHARP number four winter, for a 20% discount on this course. To learn more and sign up, visit DesertMountainMedicine.com. Juggling your passion for sports with a busy life can be hard. You want a sports watch that is ready when you are and a smartwatch that handles your every day. Sunto 7 gives you the best of both worlds and is designed to help you get the most out of your time. It's Sunto's first watch that combines its versatile sports experience and free offline outdoor maps with helpful smartwatch features from Wear OS by Google, making this the smartest sports watch yet. Go check it out at sunto.com slash sunto7 to learn more. To sign up for the Mammut newly redesigned 280 Speedlock Avalanche Probe just in time for winter, head on over to the Sharp End Instagram page, find this giveaway post, and tag two friends that you love to play in the backcountry with. You must be following Mammut NA and the Sharp End Podcast to win. I'll draw and announce the winner on December 15th. Good luck. Remember, play hard and be smart. <laughs>